Hey everyone, you're in good traffic. I'm Brad Beal, and this is a show where we have an ongoing and optimistic conversation about urbanism, urban design, urban planning, and the like right here in the United States. I'm joined today by a guest that I have wanted to have on this show since day one, since before the inception. Um, this individual has played a huge role in my evolution as an urbanist and as someone um, who's looking to make some plays and some moves in this space. Um, actually, I stumbled into an internship uh, with this individual's organization way back in pre-COVID times, 2020, February of 2020, um, when I was not thinking anything of urbanism, not thinking about urban design, not thinking about being a part of that industry or that world at all. It had never really crossed my mind. And wow, how life has changed since then. So I'm joined today by Ryan Johnson, CEO and founder of Cul-de-Sac, building car-free neighborhoods from scratch around the United States and starting right here in Tempe, Arizona. First of all, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show today and for joining me in good traffic for our first in-person episode at cul-de-sac tempe that's right we just moved in last week um announced it on last week's episode that we'd be having some more in-person episodes here yep um you're kicking it off with us we're gonna have a lot of folks from the cul-de-sac um ether on here we'll say some residents some folks that have worked with the group some uh, micro re retailers that are currently here um and experiencing this amazing car-free neighborhood um so first of all thank you so much yeah for coming on the show and for being in good traffic with me today we're so excited that you live here. Welcome to the community. You know, I have to thank you because I didn't know if this was all going to work on the timetable that we had in front of us this year, and you really helped make it happen. So I could not be happier to be calling this home now and to be here, especially after working with you all in 2020 when it was all still, you know, coming along. You had the raw land, starting to make some moves on it, but to see it now and to actually be living here, it's surreal. I, I truly do pinch myself a lot of mornings waking up in a space like this and and really taking a moment to actually realize what it constitutes and what it means, not just as a thing in general, but as a concept here in the United States and here in Arizona. So um, props to you and thanks for being the catalyst that got it all started. It's great that this open. This is the fun part where we're actually here in person. It's not just a construction site. Absolutely. And, and I, want, I wonder, starting with that a little bit, seeing it in recent weeks actually not only be open, but filled with residents, right? For the first time, seeing people not just come to visit the site, but walk out of their front door and call this home. What has that meant to you? What has it kind of felt like after all the work you've gone through to get to this point, to see people living in this car-free community and, and loving it? So it was so important to build a neighborhood the way that we should be building neighborhoods, where people want to live in walkable neighborhoods, and we've been building the wrong kind of housing for a long time. And it's gotten easier with all the different transportation technologies. And it's also the industry, it's a, it's a pretty stodgy industry. And so it was important to build something that shows that you can build walkable neighborhoods successfully in the US in the 2020s. And as you know, it, there's a whole process of getting it off the ground. And now we have a thriving, vibrant community. We actually just passed 100 units full. And so now it's really hitting its stride of lots of friendships and lots of energy. Yeah. And I think a large base of our listeners are familiar with cul-de-sac. They've heard about it. They've read about it in City Lab. They've heard about it on this show because I talk about it and reference it in a lot of episodes as a concept and as a place. Um, but for those that have never been here, or even that maybe follow on social media and can't 
quite get a full picture and understanding for what it physically is, like what the land use here is, what it looks like, what makes it different than a normal neighborhood in the United States for someone that maybe grew up in the suburbs or just in a more typical neighborhood, the way that we've been building them for the last 50 to 100 years. What makes cul-de-sac a different place in a very physical and real sense? So if you go back 100 years, we've got lots of great walkable neighborhoods in the U.S., but since the advent of the car, we've largely been building two things. We've been building sprawl, which is lonely and people don't know their neighbors anymore and there's a painful commute. Or we've been building mid-rise projects that have lots of parking, either a sea of asphalt or a concrete parking garage. And you only really leave your unit to go to your car and don't make eye contact with your neighbors. And there's something in between that is neighborhoods like we used to build that are thriving. They have lots of landscape space lots of energy, and it makes for a more connected community uh, with happier people, healthier people, and it's how people want to live. Yeah, and, and I've brought a lot of folks here since I've moved in and even before that, and their response is often the same. It's often one that starts a little speechless as they walk through the paseos and they, they look at the very um, differently constructed spaces than anything else you see here in the United States, and they all tend to say something along the lines of, this looks like Europe. <laughs> yeah. But we're in Phoenix, Arizona. That's right. And we're actually in a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona, Tempe. Right. Um, third largest city in the state in terms of a population center by itself. But it's still a, a suburban area in one of the kind of ubiquitous and un unanimous places that we associate with sprawl in the United States, in Phoenix. It's a really interesting place to start out this movement and this project in the 2020s, as you mentioned. Can you talk a little bit about Phoenix as a decision, Tempe more so as a decision for the landing spot for this proving ground and this trial point for cul-de-sac, but also for these types of neighborhoods in the United States? Why was Tempe the choice? Um, what is so exciting about both cul-de-sac being here, but also Tempe as a whole and we can get into this in a bit, but just kind of this example of if it can be done here, it feels like it can be done a lot of different places here in the United States. That's right. If you can work here, it can work all over. And most of the U.S. wants to live in a walkable neighborhood. The National Association of Realtors, they did their transportation preferences survey, and every generation wants would pay more to live in a walkable neighborhood. It's 92% of Gen Z. And the challenge is this, we're not building it and supply is not there. And there's, there's different reasons, right? In cities like New York or San Francisco, it's been so challenging to build and the demand is so high and that's why the prices have gone up. Actually, there was some really interesting anecdotes during COVID where uh, there's one company in Seattle that let people go remote and they thought people would go to Idaho or places with much lower costs. And actually, no, the biggest place that people went was New York City, even more expensive living because people just really want to live in walkable neighborhoods. Uh, but if we can't build more very easily, uh, the, then then the question is, where else could we build them? And that makes it even easier to build elsewhere. So if you look at places like Phoenix, there's some pockets that are that are walkable and have some great missing middle housing. And uh, you might be surprised, especially more like downtown Phoenix. Um, but by and large, it's sprawl. We've been building that for a long time. And now there's 5 million people here. And, so, and, and, and many of them would prefer to live in a walkable neighborhood. And we could build it here. So when we were based in San Francisco, we looked all over the country for what areas had the conditions ripe to make the, the first place. And you need to have the right job growth. 
uh, to support the additional supply. You need to have a forward-looking city that welcomes growth, and we found that in Tempe. And then you need to find the right piece of land. And we found all those things in this wonderful spot right on the light rail in Tempe. And now it's open today. Skipping yeah. a few steps. No, absolutely. And I think I have continued to say this on this show and elsewhere. If like if it can happen here, like you said, it can happen anywhere. I think it's a really um, great example of a city working because the city worked really closely with you all and and helping to develop in Tempe specifically and helping to develop um, some of the, the the background and kind of the foundation for a lot of this. And was a, it was a good partner. I'm curious. I've Rumor has it we have some people that may listen to this show that may be in kind of some city leadership positions. For any of those folks that are listening around the country, what is the sort of message in terms of partnership for a developer, but also just for someone who's trying to build better neighborhoods, whether it's a community organizer, a placemaker, whatever the case may be, what are some kind of core tenants that you found through working with the city of Tempe um, that you think are really important for cities at least to be open-minded to as they're developing new neighborhoods and new places for people to live and trying to attract residents like you just mentioned too, right? People are moving. Um, there was a lot of mobility nowadays and um, we're seeing suburbs try to create these fake walkable environments to attract people. This is the kind of housing that we should be built and that's a big reason why this has become the reference project that shows you could build walkable neighborhoods successfully in the U.S. in the 2020s. We did a lot of on-the-ground uh, work with community folks, different groups within the within the government itself, and so we we sort of knew what was most important when we brought when we brought a plan. Tempe's been wonderful. They had to pass new legislation, and it passed unanimously. And you know it's a risk, and uh, we you know it's it's wonderful, and we really thank them for that. And I think now they've seen what this uh, what this has become, and it's it's widely loved. And now there's there's actually things the city is. Uh, you know, went from you know saying yes, you could build this to saying this is great, hosting events here, etc., and now uh, independently carrying that vision. So, as one example, next month uh, they start construction on a protected bike lane from our light rail station up to this outdoor mall and the best bike path in Arizona. And it has a super Target, a Best Buy, twelve restaurants, doctors' offices, Dave and Buster's, movie theater, etc. And it just adds one major new new connection for us. And that's possible because of the city really embracing this vision. That's amazing. It's going to be a game changer, too, to be able to get there in a more safe and, and uh, measurable way. That's awesome. So focusing kind of on some of that community that's been built here, I love talking about that bigger picture, but really getting back into kind of the dirt here at this site, at cul-de-sac Tempe, at this first kind of initial trial ground for um, this sort of neighborhood in the 2020s, as we mentioned, um, Something I've been doing a lot as I've been walking around here and experiencing some of the new spaces and spending time um, in, in the various public areas, in the various retailers, in the very in the gym and places like that is looking around at just the abundance of public and more than public, just usable space, right? Is how I've kind of been thinking about it. Just so much area that can be used for a plethora of things, right? And some things for more than one. There's a lot of flexible space too. And I've been making a list in my head of all of the places that couldn't exist or wouldn't exist if we built this neighborhood the way that most neighborhoods in the United States are built. Can you talk about, because I think some people, right, they see the lack of cars that might be here and they think like, okay, residents don't have cars. That just makes their life harder. What do they gain yeah, for that? Exactly. I don't know if people really wrap their head around like the additive piece to that. What if we were to build a 
for you know four level parking deck as a lot of places do or whatever the case may be what would cul-de-sac lose like i think that's an interesting question of what sort of things that are here right now these beautiful things about this neighborhood would be impossible to exist if this was built like a normal community like a normal neighborhood um and i think that might help people kind of visualize the the marginal benefit of building a neighborhood this way yeah before our design uh there was a group that was looking at a design here that had a sea of asphalt and you can think about that and it's just a place that people go live there they stay inside their apartment and then they get in their car and, and instead we have something that has 55 percent open space and there's not a drop of asphalt and we have lots of landscaping uh, we worked with christina floor and she's done some of the iconic places including the botanical gardens here in phoenix and we've got a plaza we've got vibrant retail uh, and great art and a, and a number of things that uh, would be very different than this sea of parking. It's also, uh, it actually feels cooler, right? The heat island effect, we're 15 degrees cooler than the apartment complex next door. And the the, the lifestyle of people, they are able to use a, a different transportation options and choose the right mode for them. Uh, the most popular is the light rail, but also Lyft and Waymo, um, electric bikes. All of our residents get a free electric e-bike, um, electric scooters, and even walking. And people can ch uh, choose from this portfolio of options uh, for themselves. And it's just a much better life than a private car. Totally. You just reminded me to pick my bike up too. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. I needed needed to add that to the to-do list this week. So. That's right. From Archer's Bikes, yes, which Archer's is bikes. the best bike store in the state. There we go. I agree. Um, yeah. So th like with that in mind too, you, you put this thought in my head of Okay, so we have all this space. We have this lack of parking. I think there's still, and this is just anecdotal based on conversations I've had with people who have very little context on this neighborhood and some folks that are are exploring this idea or learning about this for the first time, whether it be through this podcast or through kind of just the overall cultural zeitgeist surrounding urbanism and urban planning that has really risen in the last few years, I think, especially since COVID. We've seen new circles of the internet pop up that are largely built around conversations of third third places and conversations of urban planning. And a lot of younger folks' eyes are being opened to that. And that's phenomenal and, and, and it's wonderful. But when people move here, and whether they're selling a car or they're just moving somewhere that is more empowering for them if they already didn't own a car, it's not just, hey, give us your keys. We're taking your car. Good luck, right? And I think a lot of people I've had conversation with is like, so what you just now you don't have a car you can't go anywhere but you all have really focused on this integrated full stack um of transportation perks and and resources for all of the residents that come here and for some maybe take a risk in their personal choice for others maybe they just started doing the math on what they could save by not owning a car whatever the reason may be talk through kind of some of those those perks and stuff that people get by entering a space like this to show that I think it's a really important point that it's not just, hey, sell your car, good luck. But there really is this full stack support system that is about um, re waning off of car dependency, I guess is how I'd say it, and, and leaning into better ways of moving and more communal ways of moving off often. Yeah, and there's specific perks. All residents get an unlimited light rail pass. They get big discounts on Lyft, Waymo, and other services. They all get a free electric bike. Uh, but they get, more importantly, they get a community of folks who are also living this lifestyle. And it's something that having it in this concentrated way is different than normal places here. 
Uh, I'm 14 years car free, started in New York City and some other places. Um, but in Phoenix, that's that's uh, that's still relatively rare. And that's that's changing. So um, by everyone knowing others that are doing it, they share tips, they get the confidence of doing it. Yeah. Others know that they have that in common. And it's a it's a fun topic of conversation. And it really is a it really is a lifestyle that's just a better lifestyle. And there's different ways that you can you can take it, right? You could say, hey, I'm gonna save a lot of money. That's gonna let me do other things in my life, go to restaurants more, et cetera, get a nicer apartment. Uh, there's also people that say, hey, this is actually a way better experience than driving a car. I'm in this bucket of I would much rather be in the back seat, like reading, texting, listening to music rather than the stress of driving. And as we all know, we all become the worst version of ourselves behind the wheel. And so we're rested and happier for the rest of the day. And that's a big reason why this lifestyle is so great. Certainly is. And yeah, I, I get a lot of comments of like, oh, you ride the light rail 45 minutes to get places a lot of times. So I'm like, yeah, but that's usable time. That's, that's uh, you know, it's kinetic time versus potential time in terms of what you can be turning it into and using it for. And I get to do a lot of things. I get an extra 45 minutes to write or to edit these podcasts. And otherwise I would be in traffic and, and, and sitting behind a wheel and getting angry and getting my heart rate up and all those things. So I totally agree with you. I've experienced the same thing. I really would love to dive into, as you, you mentioned. And then to yeah, say one thing that, you know, with, with some of these transportation modes are so enjoyable that people do it as a hobby, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I always get it as a pet peeve of mine is when people say like, oh, like we, we shouldn't be subsidizing bikes and making bike infrastructure. That's just like people working out is no, those are important commuting trips. It just happens to be that enjoyable that people also do it for fun. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there is a fine line between that leisure and that exercise and that transportation piece. And while we don't build infrastructure that supports all three of those, I think it's important that we do have uh, those three things being top of mind and cons considered when we think about how we move every day, because as someone who walks, you know, multiple miles every day, I attribute a lot of my health to just that alone. And yeah. if I had a different transportation mode, I think my health outcome would be very different than it is. It doesn't feel like I'm exercising. It doesn't feel like I'm, you know, exerting myself by doing that, but it's that little consistent thing every day. I always use the example of like, who has more gyms per capita, us or you know, Northern European countries. I'm going to guess we do. We got gyms all over the place, but who walks more and who has more active and public transportation? Those countries, if you took both of those side by side, I think most people would agree that's a healthier population than we are overall in some. And I always think that's an interesting lesson of like, we have all these gyms, but that doesn't equate to health. The actual built-in kind of part of the fabric of life sorts of movement, I think are way more consequential and beneficial for, um, us as humans, when we talk about things like like physical health and stuff, so I love that point. Yeah, and we and we have the best of both worlds. We also have a lifestyle that's great by default, and we have an amazing gym. It's one of the things that residents love the most, and I love having it right here. It makes me go more often. Oh, absolutely! I think that was the first. I texted you the morning after I moved. You're in, like, this is good. Like, this is the best gym I've ever been in my life. That's right. I, that's I right. Totally agree with you. It's a fantastic place, and. Um, yeah, I, I love my workouts a lot more. We, uh, we, have, we have a woman named Erin on our team who's wonderful. Maybe you'll have her on your podcast at some point. And, and she, you know, she's a weightlifter and I'm over a foot taller than her and she can outsquat me by quite a bit. And she was, you know, she knows gyms well and helped us design that. And it, everyone, uh, everyone says it's great. I didn't know that. That's an awesome story. Yeah, yeah. Aaron, Aaron was the first call-sack person I ever met. So That's right. Aaron, come on the podcast, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that would, that would be fun. Um, yeah, so with that in mind though, I, I, I think- there's also this interesting conversation to be had around your 
kind of story and, and, and origin piece to getting to this place of a going car free for 14 years, like you talked about, right? That's a big, uh, what, and I say this in terms of how I think the average person in the United States is looking at it, a big commitment to make, um, a big lifestyle choice, a big lifestyle chance at a certain point, probably even when you were excited to do it. But I would love to hear just kind of what led you to that decision. And then ultimately how that kind of parried and segued into the work that you're doing now and kind of the fight that you're leading on all fronts. Um, here in Arizona and beyond. I started being car-free. Uh, I was living in South Africa and moved to New York. And that's a place where it's easy to be car-free. People are taking the subway. I actually worked for the subway at the time. And part of employment is you get a free unlimited subway pass. But uh, that was that was a time when I started using a portfolio of transportation options right away. But then as I moved to other places, I continued that because it was just a better lifestyle and could that could uh, go where I needed to go, right? Also, if like friends are going to a restaurant, people are going to have drinks that you know definitely don't want to be drinking and driving, and uh, realize that this is just a this is just a great experience and it's a better life. I'm actually willing to, you know willing to pay more for that, and kept doing that, and now it's something they can work. And there's also you know the math of it. So people think about um, the first you know ride ride sharing uh, is such a great way to show people. Uh, how great living car-free can be. And the first thing that they do is if they're like going to drink or maybe a place that has expensive parking like the airport, like, okay, I'll take that out. But that only gets rid of the marginal cost. The car payment, the depreciation, you only save that part if you go cold turkey and go to zero, right? The average cost of a car is over $800 a month. The average household's spending $8,000 a year on cars. And the price of a uh, the price of a new car is over $48,000 on average in the US. And so the math actually gives you the option for a lot of uh, a lot of transportation services. And some of it's counterintuitive because there's social norms on these kind of things where if uh, if if you are going to a dinner party and you take a $20 lift each way, people will look at you like you're crazy. Right. But yet the $800 people are spending $30 a day just as a default on their uh, on their car. And you know, if you're traveling on vacation somewhere for two weeks and you're, you're going to Sedona from Phoenix and you spend a couple hundred dollars on a lift each way, right. you're actually saving a lot of money, but people will be like, you took a lift to Sedona? You're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think when we do like the, when we talk about lump sum payments, like insurance, right? Where you're paying once a year or once a month, however your plan's set up, like we, we almost don't consider that as part of like our cost of living, right. which I think is a really weird thing because we consider our rent, we consider other monthly payments, but for some reason, I think most people, when you ask them cost of living, they think all housing and no transportation. And like you said, they'll look at you crazy when you talk about doing like what you're doing. Hey, I, I think you went to, you told me a story one time, you went to Flagstaff, took a lift to Flagstaff oh, yeah. or something like that. And, and how um, a lot of folks were like, why would you, why would you lift up there? And it's like, well, cause I'm saving hundreds of dollars every month by not paying for insurance. So yeah, I think the math thing is huge. I know you've talked about that a lot too and about how the hardest part of getting people to go, I think you had a Twitter, a LinkedIn post recently where you said the hardest part of getting people to go car-free is getting them to do math. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I've experienced that a lot of like, that is really at the core what a lot of this is, is people are trying, I mean, look up trending things on any social media. There's so many personal finance things. There's so many people trying to get rich quick. There's all these people that are giving them solutions to that and those are some of the biggest most you know popular trends and conversations out there but we're talking about a real practical one here yeah which is find a way to maybe even just go one less car than your family has now or go like you said cold turkey 
um, and find out for yourself because it is life-changing. Exactly. We don't expect everyone to switch right away. Uh, this is a lifestyle that's still gaining so much momentum and the tailwinds are so strong, still much less than half of the U.S. has tried rideshare. Ride share. AV ride hail is still at the early infancy. People, you know, even people that, that that you know are, are always following new technology. They're st- surprised at how how here Waymo is. Um, uh, actually, Hank Green, who's uh, here here right now, as you know, took his first one last night, and he said, "Yeah, it was bizarre for the first bit, and then twelve minute ride, and now it's just normal to me. It's it's right. it's wild how fast you get used to it." And speaking of your finance uh, finance folks, as you know, Mr. Money Mustache lives here, and he talks about the free life and uh, and how great it is, and the flexibility, and car free can be a huge part of saving money. Yeah, that would be an awesome conversation to have on the podcast too. I think there'd be a really interesting perspective there. So hopefully yeah. we can make that happen. Who's this? I hear my dog. I hear my dog giving guests? a little growl. Yeah. We have guests. Who do we have? The first ever my dog. Yes. Dog. Oh, my dog is the world's worst guard dog. This is Justin. Uh, how's it going? Uh, we're on the good. We're on the good traffic podcast. We should get you on it at some point. But yeah. absolutely, love to. Yeah. Do you want a uh, hazelnut Kit Kat from Ken Kat gift? There we go. We're plugging all the retailers today. That's right. <laughs> so you should get on here soon. This is Justin from So Used. It's an amazing vintage clothing shop. Uh, they get so many customers in foot traffic, and it's wonderful. And it's because they have such creative things, and they're always posting on their social media. Check them out. They also throw events. We threw a boiler room event uh, on live on TikTok last week. It was, it was fun. So we'll do some more fun stuff. They. They've been here for a bit and been a wonderful addition to the community. And for everybody listening, we'll link all of these uh, different shops, but also all these different physical spaces so you can actually see what they look like. Because I know that's sometimes hard when you're listening to things that you don't know what visually things appear to be like. So we obviously have a lot of those elements to include in this one because so much of this is so visual. So yeah, I love that. Um, I think it'd be interesting too to talk a little bit about um, everything in mind that you just did. What kind of like as someone who's on the front lines and leading a lot of this this kind of conversation right now in the United States around waning off of and looking away from car dependency, both on a large scale, but also just for like we were just talking about individuals and families. What would you say is your aim in a lot of that? Like what is what is the goal for you personally as you're building things like cul-de-sac Tempe, as you're working with individuals, even responding to comments on social media, giving advice, whatever the case may be, like what, is there an overarching kind of goal that you have, or is it just the kind of general, let's build better neighborhoods for families and for people? That makes cities better that there's, we've been building the wrong kind of housing for a hundred years and there's a much better way to do it. It makes people half happier, makes people healthier. Uh, the projects themselves are successful and cities love it. Uh, people that build it are going to love it. And we really want th- wanted this to catalyze other things. We've there's a whole uh, new neighborhood emerging around us that's making this neighborhood even stronger. Uh, we talked earlier about how stodgy it is in real estate, and people say, "Where are the examples?" And we want people to point to this and say, "This shows that it can work." Uh, to show that it's not as risky as cities might think, investors might think, etc. And so now that there's so much more awareness around uh, around this, uh, and it's 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 possible, and it's really gaining momentum. We're seeing cities are changing things. We're seeing more developers are talking about it, and it's an exciting trend that that uh, is going to make people happier. And the U.S. has become so lonely, and uh, you naturally form more connections when it's walkable. And it's not even some forced cutesy thing of putting people in a room. It's just spontaneous connections when you're not just walking to your car. And uh, you just go about your day and you're happier. Yeah. I talked last week on uh, the solo episode I did about 
I saw a TikTok recently that was asking, someone was asking, what do 30 and 40 year olds do for fun in the United States? And they were like, I have, I don't have <laughs> answers. And somebody duetted the the TikTok, duetted the post and they were like, we're in our car. We're just always in our car. We're going here, we're picking the kids up here. We're going to this place. And I think that's a very real thing. Um, as someone who, who is kind of lived car free throughout those age ranges for yourself, like, have you found a marginal benefit in that not being true for you? I guess is the question I'm getting at. Has there been kind of a collective of folks who have rallied around and maybe asked you those sorts of questions of, you know, Hey, like your life seems so different than mine, um, because you don't drive and like, how have those gone? Have, have you had some experiences like that that have been really like people kind of opening up and just being like, wow, your life is entirely different than mine is for that sole reason of you don't, you don't own a car, you don't drive. It's definitely different, especially in a place like Phoenix, but so many people have become car free and so many people have started using new transportation methods and adding it to their portfolio, even if it still has a car. And a, uh, a close friend, family of six, four kids uh, went from two cars to one. Mm. Uh, they have a bunch of e-bikes and uh, they're sort of this magnet in their neighborhood now. Their neighbors have e-bikes. Uh, so many people, as you know, um, I, I care a lot about e-bikes. I have a lot of e-bikes and that's uh, uh, that's a technology. AV Ride Hell and e-bikes uh, are, are sort of two things that uh, I think are going to really power this uh, this trend and enable this over the coming decades. And, the, the you know, AV Ride Hail in particular will be the biggest impact on real estate in decades, but um, you know, e-bikes e is is partly a hobby, but also it's so core to what we do at Cul-de-Sac, and so I, I've become an expert on those and always talking about it. Um, could share some of my recommendations uh, in an article at some point. But so many people have, have bought an e-bike because of that, and then they say, "Wow, I can I got this, and it started as fun, and now I've replaced a lot of trips, and then it can influence where they live. People will actually choose new options based upon the commuting patterns." Yeah, no, and I you beat me to it. I was going to ask you about the e-bike collection. What are we at now? How, how many how many e-bikes are we up to? Well, we've peaked, so we're in the '60s. But uh, I before I moved into cul-de-sac, uh, I had a I had a place with a two-car garage that was just full of e-bikes. Oh, and also, we still have our office downtown uh, until later this year, and so that's also got e-bikes all over. But we're sort of storage limited, so uh, I think we've reached the peak on e-bikes. We're still in the '60s, but. I uh, love going on group rides with lots of people, love knowing the intricacies of different ones, um, and it's fun. And when you don't own a car, you have budget for more things like that. Absolutely. And so much of that, the micromobility thing, I think, is people people just trying it out, getting the confidence to. And I've seen you bring a lot of people along in, in the form of group rides or even just one-on-one -on -one sorts of rides. Um, do, do you have any thoughts about just the idea of with those sorts of things that are risks for a lot of folks and given especially the infrastructure, right? If like, it's scary to ride on a lot of these roads. Is there any sort of tip for someone who wants to kind of wane off of the car, but they're afraid to do things like ride a bike in a lot of our environments? Do you have any advice for those folks on things that they could do to just start maybe testing things out and start trying um, to wane off of the car by utilizing micromobility in public transport? There's, there's lots of different transportation modes and understanding all of them is part of, of understanding the, the range of options, right? And so uh, trying an electric bike, trying Lyft, still most people haven't, uh, trying electric scooters, uh, trying AV Ride Hill if you're lucky enough to live in Phoenix or a place that has them, uh, trying also delivery services, not just about how you get around, it's also how things get to you. Uh, our residents are also power users of uh, all mobility and logistics services. And once you then see a whole range of different ways of doing things, then people can construct the right portfolio for themselves. 
and the car starts to look like a ball and chain. And we have cars that are used, you know, two to five percent of the time. And uh, we now have parking spaces being ugly and wasting space all over the country. And we can build things differently uh, when we don't need that. Absolutely. Well, the last question that we ask everyone who comes on the show, out of all the places that you've ever lived, the jobs that you've done, all the experiences you've had, what has been your favorite commute that you've ever had on a reoccurring basis? This show is called Good Traffic. A lot of what I'm trying to do is take this thing that's a unanimous political decision that it's ugly and everyone kind of hates it sitting in traffic. I think we can all agree on that. We're trying to look at it in a different light. We're trying to see it as a potentially very dynamic and beautiful thing. That's obviously what cold sex are all about. But I'd love to hear for you personally, out of all those places you've ever lived, what's been the best commute you've ever had? The best commute for me was uh, after, after undergrad, I spent a year living in Brazil doing a Fulbright and I was studying their transportation system. They had a large network of vans that were operating like buses in areas that the government didn't serve service. And one of those areas was in a slum. And I started off living in a nicer part of town and then actually moved in uh, into the favela for a time to, to really understand it. And uh, there, there was only one road. There was something like 150,000 people. It's on this hill. It's the most interesting, uh, most interesting place I've ever been. Uh, with roads that are as wide as sidewalks because they don't have planning departments and things like this. And uh, there's lots of things that aren't ideal about it. But the 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 vibrancy that it has because of um, the community and all the people and all the walkability is something interesting. But they have one road, and uh, there's the the way to get to the top is to get a motorcycle taxi and get on someone and uh, you know hold on for dear life. And uh, and and at the top of it is the most beautiful view in all of Rio de Janeiro. And so that path, which is this winding path, looking over uh, this this really interesting uh, urban form, is is the most influential or most interesting commute that I've had. Hmm. Yeah, that's a unique one. We haven't had we haven't had one like that yet on the show. So yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's a unique one. Well, Ryan, where are some places coming up that people can find you? Whether it be you know digital digital homes that you live in or places that you know there might be some physical things going on where folks see connected to you and and call the sack and the work that's going on here. Yeah, so uh, follow us on socials um, on all the all the relevant places. Uh, but most importantly, uh, cul-de-sac Tempe, and there's different ways for that. So every Thursday we have something called Little Choya. Uh, it has different forms. The most common one is a night market. We get hundreds of people, and uh, it's a chance for our community and the surrounding community to have a good time. And it's a great way to just walk around and see us. You could also visit anytime during the day. We have lots of great retailers. Please support them. And uh, we also, of course, have our leasing office and we have leases as short as six months or as long as 15. And we also have short term rentals like Airbnbs. There's there's a, there's a small number of those for people that want to stay and get a little taste for cul-de-sac. And we've had lots of people that stayed for a weekend or a week to see what it was all about who've now converted to full time residents. That's and we awesome. love that. That's so cool. Yeah. Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. Hope we can do it again soon. And uh, it's great to be here. It's great to be able Welcome. to see live from Cold Looking forward to we, all the episodes here. Off. I appreciate that. Thanks so much.